Hey, hi, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, still in a place where there is snow, but it's also going to be in the 70s during a week in the middle of October, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started today, just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, pleading with everyone. Keep rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Uh, f- definitely subscribe. That's the most important thing if you haven't done so already. Throw us that five-star rating. It takes two or three or five or ten seconds out of your day, max. And if you have a comment, want to give us some feedback, please. We love reading the reviews as well. If you've done all that, referrals are appreciated. If you don't want to go the length of referring us to someone, just retweet the podcast when Andy or I are promoting it. That goes a long way for us as well. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. You can find me at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. Last but certainly not least, you should be following Blue Wire. On Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. You can check out all the fire tweets that I'm letting off over there, in addition to seeing many of the other great podcasts the network has to offer. With all of that said, Andy, how are you doing? I am doing great. Uh, excited to jump into over unders for the Western Conference. It's a, uh, this is a brutal exercise. Yes, taking, um, a, taking a break from the season preview train. Should have, should have said that at the top to do uh, win total over unders. Uh, but you were saying it was it's always brutal, but this year it, it felt, it feels like it's particularly brutal. Yeah. I don't know how, uh, I don't know how people do this uh, like with real money. I, I, I would just go insane, I think. Well, I'm going to force you to pick like a best bet or two at the end of it. So you're about to see. <laughs> All, All right. listeners are going to be throwing like at least a couple thousand dollars on whatever you pick, so their livelihood hangs in the balance. No pressure, though. Okay. Well, just throw me a couple thousand after you win because that they are guaranteed to win. <laughs> uh, we're just going to go in alphabetical order, nothing fancy here, which means that we will start. These win totals, by the way, are coming via Top Bet, which was the most up-to-date ones that uh, I could find in preparation for this. Uh, they are basically similar, though, wherever wherever you look, whether that's going to be, you know, Caesars or Bovada or something. They're just they're basically the same all over, though. They might shift a little bit in lead up to decision for all those sports bettors out there. However, these are the numbers we're operating with. And the Dallas Mavericks, who won 33 games last year, their win total is set at 40.5. Andy, what are you taking? It's a big jump uh, from 33, but I'm going over. I. I really like the Doncic Porzingis pairing. I think they have a couple guys who are, you know, the analytics have loved for a couple years and I think fit in well in DeLon Wright and um, Dwight Powell, I think is good. I, you have talked about, and I think fairly that there's, there's certainly a depth problem here. Um, this roster more or less kind of falls off a cliff after five or six guys. Um, they're they're going to need one or two guys beyond that five or six player mark to hit. Um, but the talent at the top, I think, is enough for me. And this is this is mostly just a big bet on Luca continuing to be um, sort of a, a human rocket ship here. <laughs> There's – I went under, of course, as Mavericks fans probably know on Twitter because I made a joke. I actually don't think they're going to be the worst team in the West. That was 
that was a joke. But again, the risk you take when you're uh, an asshat on Twitter is basically my persona. I just look the Luka Doncic Kristaps Porzingis pairing should just fit like a glove. Doncic, I'm I'm very curious to see what a leap looks like from him. I feel like it's just numerically like he's going to be more efficient doing everything he did last year, which is incredible, by the way. That could be someone who maybe flirts with like you know nine or ten assists a game, uh, and he's just going to not hit that rookie wall in in terms of his shooting efficiency. Uh, they they do have some depth on this team. Like I know we've said they're shallow, but we both like Jalen Brunson. I'm a DeLon Wright fan. We're both Seth Curry fans. It's the wing rotation that makes me uneasy. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is probably their best wing other than Doncic, and that's not a great spot to be in. So what are you going to get from Tim Hardaway or or Justin Jackson or or even Courtney Lee? Th- their front court seems pretty set, but you know, will they have the bandwidth to get the small ball lineups where you have maybe Finney Smith at the four? I saw they started that unit the other night. It was encouraging. I just, over the long haul, I feel like maybe we're just a year early. Porzingis is coming back from this ACL injury. I know those aren't the problems they used to be, but it still could take him a little while to go through the motions. They're going to rest him, I would imagine, at least 10 to 15 games of scheduled rest, and that has to factor in as well. And if he's slower to start out the gate or just not himself for the entire season, this team just doesn't have that clear third best player to sort of pick up the slack. I mean, looking at this roster, who's Dallas's third best player? Is it Dwight? It probably is Dwight Powell. Probably Dwight Powell. Maybe yeah. You can make a case for Kleba if you really wanted to. So I would probably go with Powell. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, Serious question marks with this roster. One one thing that was encouraging to me, um, I think it was in the maybe in the league pass rankings or something like that from Zach Lowe, and he reminded me that Rick Carlisle has crafted um, successful benches from nothing many times, and I, I somehow kind of forgot that. Not certain that he can do that. With this bunch, I mean, you mentioned some guys that I think are going to be good, like Brunson and and uh, Curry, and if Kleba comes off the bench or Powell comes off the bench, whatever. You have the makings of an interesting bench unit. So maybe what I said about the depth is slightly overblown, even. But it it there's <laughs> there's a lot of questions. Nothing feels like a sure thing with this team, um, which is probably why they're over under is is set right at five hundred. Yeah, um, they're I, just kind of a question mark. I'm not even sure that we ever sh- said they were shallow. I'm not sure that that maybe it is a thought one of us had earlier in the offseason. It's just they don't have like a depth of mark marquee power or star power. And that could hurt them if Porzingis is not a top 25 player like Doncic right out of the gate. Because I mean, if you put Seth Curry, Jalen Brunson, uh, let's say Kleba, and then to whatever, whether it's going to be uh, Justin Jackson, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, if he's not starting, two of those guys on the floor, I could see those bench units being effective. The West is just brutal, and Porzingis yeah. is coming back from an injury, and they're not. Uh, I wouldn't. They're not deep with proven guys. I would say the West. The, yeah, just being in the West is probably the biggest problem, and and that'll be that <laughs> could be a running theme throughout there. this podcast. <laughs> What's that? I said the argument could have ended there for us. They play in the yeah. West. Yeah, it'll it'll come up again with other teams, I'm sure. You want to alternate? You want to do the lead us into the Denver Nuggets? Sure. Up next, we have the uh, Denver Nuggets. That was a beautiful lead in by me. Uh, over under set at fifty two and a half. What do you got? I have the over, and this was, I thought, one of the easier decisions that we have. They're 
they didn't make any wholesale changes over the offseason, as my voice just squeaks there. But the addition of Jeremy Grant is basically just everything they needed on the defensive end. I, I don't know what the reason to not like this team to go over and win a similar amount of games is this year. Maybe they don't care about the regular season as much. Uh, or maybe you're worried that all of a sudden, you know, Nick Kosmider at The Athletic wrote a great piece on this. They quietly just have a ton of free agents. And Mike Malone has said they almost have too many guys who aren't going to get minutes. And so when you have a bunch of players entering those contract years, well, there maybe be a, this chemical problem behind the scenes if there's a, you know, a Tory Craig not getting enough playing time or, or something along those lines or a Malik Beasley or or they're going to be players who are playing for themselves. Uh, I'm not saying they have any of those guys, but just looking at the sheer amount of free agents, perhaps that's an issue. But I, I don't know how else you would build the case, aside from injury, which we're not assuming here, for this team to really hit the under. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I This team is loaded. Um is there? I don't know if there's a team that's as deep as this one. I think there's 10, 11 guys that would play on most teams in the NBA. Uh, Maybe the, fact the Clippers. That, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah, think. the fact that Juan Hernan Gomez or Juancho. I had a Nuggets fan um, chide me for calling him Juan. I guess I guess Juancho himself has said he prefers to be called Juancho. Sorry, Nuggets fans. Um, so I, we need to call him Juancho from now on. Which is fine by me. I mean, it's more fun to say, right? Whatever players want to be called is what what they should call. I'm just still flabbergasted that you use Yanni Atentacubo. Um, that that was because of Tas Melis, fellow Greek, not fellow with me, but fellow with Giannis or Yanni. Sorry, both of you. <laughs> um, anyway, the fact that one show might not get minutes is is that's to me just a symbol of how much depth this team has. There are so many good players on this team. And even Michael Porter jr. Has looked good. I know he's, it's been spot minutes and it's been the preseason, um, but he's looked better than I thought he would. He, he actually does look a little bit sort of stiff to me. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch him much, but he doesn't move quite as, as he's not as fluid as I expected. So maybe that's something to keep an eye on, but he's been productive, which is, is, probably more important than how you move. Um, so they've, they've got all kinds of players there. Nikola Jokic to me is a top five player. Uh, Murray and Harris, everybody knows about the starters, but I think Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, a bunch of guys off the bench are really good too. Um, this is a team that I think, like you said, can fairly comfortably get to like the mid fifties. So this, this one was an over for me too. I don't and know if I said that yet. Where it seems like they, where we might see the biggest difference is we know the starting lineup, which was not really healthy for a big part of last year. Like it just kills when it's on the floor. Mm -hmm. But you know, when they had those minutes where they played Mason Plumlee without Nicole Jokic, they lost those minutes and were were really bad defensively. And I know they played well when Millsap and Plumlee were on the court without Jokic, but there's just something to the option of having, Hey, we can put Millsap and Jeremy Grant as our front court now. And it just, it seems to give them a higher ceiling without Jokic, particularly when you bake in maybe another year of improvement from Jamal Murray or uh, a healthier Will Barton, perhaps, maybe a, a healthier Gary Harris too because he quietly didn't have – maybe it wasn't quietly, but it doesn't seem like enough people were talking about how much he struggled last year. So th- the ceiling on this team actually seems higher than it was last season, not just because of what Jeremy Grant does to diversify their rotation, but if you get good health from, from Harris and Will Barton for most, if not – 
the entire year. That ends up being a, a luxury that you didn't have last year. And then you mentioned it, you know, Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, even if he doesn't really play, if he's healthy because he had that, uh, he had that core muscle injury last year. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. now Michael Porter Jr. is an option. Like you said, maybe, maybe he's able to crack the rotation. The, one of the only ways I could see them getting there is maybe they just phoned it in during the preseason, uh, the regular season, because now they're this, you know, veteran team that understands the playoffs a little bit better. Yeah, I suppose that's a possibility. I think they're still young and uh, um, spunky enough. How's, how's that word choice? I love the word to... spunky. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. <laughs> On to the Golden State Warriors, which this was the, one of the tougher teams to project for me. 48.5 is their win total mark. They won 57 games last year, but their roster does not look the same. What did you go with? I went with the over here, and like you, this is I, I was torn on it. This was not an easy call. Uh, I just mentioned what happens to the Mavericks roster after the first few players, and it's it's probably even more um, scary with the Warriors. Stephen Curry scoring, what did he do the other night against the Timberwolves? It was like 40 on 19 shots or something like that. Yep. Um, I know it was the Timberwolves. And I know it's the preseason. There's the preseason caveat again. Um, But if Curry is like anywhere close to 2015-16 level Curry, I think they should be able to get over. But even then, I'm not certain because there there are just massive question marks and red flags all over this roster, basically after uh, Curry and Green. Um, You know, Clay Thompson, when he comes back, I mean, even Clay Thompson, when he comes back, I was about to say he'll be fine, but he's coming off an ACL. And and you said it's not the, the same issue that it was in the past, but it may take him some time to get up and running again and get back to a full speed or at least like 95% of what he was. Um, so I think you have two superstar level players in Curry and Draymond Green. And after that, it's it's who knows? I mean, I, I keep thinking back when I think about the Warriors this season, I keep thinking back to the finals for those minutes when it was just curry and a bunch of guys and it it the the offense looked difficult for them um so i think we're going to see some stretches like that this season but i also think we're going to see some games where stephen curry just cannot be stopped and when he goes on one of those waves like he had against the timberwolves they're going to be really really hard to beat and i think that's a formula to get to right around 50 wins yeah it's just look the problem is there just their depth after that. And I'm, I'm banking on the fact that if they get good enough health, uh, Stephen Curry plus D'Angelo Russell plus Draymond Green gets them 
near the 50 win territory, but they are going to need like, like one of these reserves sort of needs to, to, to burst. And it probably needs to come in the, the front court, whether it's like an Amari Spellman or a Marquise Chris, should, uh, should he make the roster? It does sound like Steve Kerr really likes him. Is it yeah. going to be a, a Jordan Poole or Jacob Evans? Is it going to be an, an Alec Burks, you know, moving outside the front court? Obviously, an Eric Pascal. Do they, you know, what do they have hopes for um, Alan Smilagic? Like, it's just, I, they're going to need some. And I guess we haven't even mentioned D'Angelo Russell yet. I mean, he should help, but yeah, continue. Well, I did say Curry plus Russell plus. Oh, okay. Green. I so, didn't mention him I, then. My fault. Well, no, it's what I guess what he does, though, is that you at least have a better chance of surviving those minutes when Stephen Curry is off the court. I don't know how you win any minutes right now when Draymond Green or or excuse me, when two of Draymond Green, Stephen Curry and Russell are off the court. And that's yeah. that's the, the bigger issue for this team, which sort of kind of negates our pick for the over. Clay's probably not going to come back until around March-ish. I'm just banking on that they're going to be good enough until then and that they're going to be hovering right around that territory. I feel like we're – maybe we're not underselling Curry, but I feel like we're almost underselling the impact that Draymond Green can have. You know, he's yeah. basically the best playmaker on this – he was basically the best playmaker on this team even during the, the Kevin Durant era. So there are a lot of different things they could do. If we see them run more pick and roll, which is what people have been clamoring for between Green and Curry – they're going to have to do that because Russell is there. And so maybe that leaks to the rest of the roster, but I'm, I'm fully admitting there's not a lot of depth and they're going to need just someone unexpected to, to really exceed expectations in, in the front court for them to hit this mark. Yeah, I totally agree. If they can get like um, late season playoff engaged Draymond for the entire season, I think that makes a huge difference he's, to, he's, to echo what you're saying. He's already back on his playoff diet, which he credited with helping him lose 23 pounds in six weeks right before the playoffs last year. So food for thought, literally. <laughs> um, next, we have the Houston Rockets. Uh, they are set at 53 and a half. What do you got? I have the over, and I don't even feel a little bit good about it. My, my thinking here is that th- this is with the Russell Westbrook James Harden partnership is either going to be spectacular or spectacularly bad, and I'm choosing to just bank on something close to the former. It just if they're going to get more games out of Westbrook than they got out of Chris Paul, I know the wing rotation here isn't great. I'm curious to see what their defense looks like. I'm actually a lot lower on Clint Capella now than I was entering last season. I almost feel like he's peaked and that he leaves you with some matchup problems in the front court versus more than two or three teams in the league. Like we kind of thought that was the the number uh, heading into the last season. It's just going lower than this. It, it almost just, it feels just wrong because I'm assuming that if they get good health from, from Harden and Westbrook, they're at least going to be, uh, in in the fifties, and then from there, you would think have you know Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, Clint Capella. I know they're dealing with a Gerald Green injury now. That's going to be kind of a test to their to their ring rotation. But Austin Rivers played some good minutes last year. We saw some nice defense at points uh, from Daniel House. A lot of people are high on Gary Clark. I know they don't have your guy Anthony Bennett anymore, uh, but <laughs> they're this roster still feels like it's going to be good. But there's I also recognize the. the the chance for them to be bad. And it does feel like there's this higher than normal floor to ceiling variance for them. And so I could very easily see them going to the over, but 
I, I excuse me, going to the under. I just, I'm bet, I'm just, I don't know. I guess I'm taking a stab in the dark here, and I feel like we've shit on them all off season. That we do have to take a step back and say, look, they have two of the 15 best players in the game, and one of them, and James Harden's very clearly a top four or five player uh, who has historically wanted to go full bore in the regular season. So I'm, again, taking a little bit of a chance here, but I went with the over 53.5. So I went under on this one. Our first um, disagreement, right? Oh, no, you, we disagreed. On no, we didn't agree on the Mavericks either. So the reason I went under, I mean, all the concerns that you brought up with the Rockets, I, I think I would echo. And I just think there will be a little bit of an adjustment period with the two ball-dominant superstars. Um, I don't think it's been a huge issue in the preseason, but I, I think there's going to be some games where uh, Westbrook may shoot them out of a game. And I, I just I just think generally it's going to take them a little bit of time to figure out that pairing. I do think ultimately it's going to work. Uh, I don't know if it works to the degree that they win a title, um, but I think they'll be successful enough to get to 50. It's just that that extra bump up to 53 and a half kind of scared me off. And I'm going to throw out the Western Conference again. Um, and just there, there are so many good teams in the West and they're all going to be beating up on each other all season long. I think it's going to be hard for any team to get up, you know, to high 50s. I know I went over on the Nuggets at 52 and a half, but I don't. I think the number one seed in the West could be right around like 53, 54 wins just because it's going to be such a gauntlet um, night after night after night. Even even the teams that are not going to make the playoffs in the Western Conference now, there aren't a lot of walkovers anymore. I mean, you used to look at the Western Conference schedule for teams and think, well, we're, we've got the Suns coming up and that'll you know, that's a win. That's a gimme for us. Um, and that might not necessarily be the case anymore with a bunch of these teams. Um, I don't, I don't know if there is a gimme, I guess maybe the Memphis Grizzlies is, is your one gimme in the Western conference. Other than that, there's, um, there's, there's the potential for losses all over the conference. So I just, this is more about the Western conference generally than it is the Houston Rockets. I just have a hard time seeing anybody getting real high up into the fifties. And I know 53 and a half is, is low fifties, but I think most of the, the good teams in the West are going to be right around 50. Well, and that throws this whole exercise off too. If you don't have, you know, two of those mid to high fifty win teams, like I feel like you're used to. So mm-hmm. you know, last year, Golden State fifty seven, and then there was Denver fifty four. So if 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 that throws this whole process off, if you don't even get a team that wins fifty four games in the West, so I, I would agree with you there. Uh, we move on to the Los Angeles Clippers. Their over-under was set at 53.5 as well, just like the Rockets. What did you go with for them? I went under. Uh, a lot of the same things that I brought up with the Rockets, except for there's an added uh, issue with the Clippers, and that's Paul George's health. Um, they're going to be good even when he's not playing. They've got Kawhi Leonard and a really good supporting cast. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of similar to the Raptors of last season, at least while Paul George is out. Um, you know, Patrick Beverly isn't as good as Kyle Lowry, but he's a, he's a bulldog on defense and, um, can hit the open three. And then they've got a bunch of other solid role players like Maurice Harkless, uh, Montrez Harrell, Landry Shamit, um, just, just all kinds of interesting pieces on this roster. So I think they'll be good while Paul George is out, but I think that will slow them down a little bit. Um, this is a team that, that to me seems like it's going to click in a little bit later in the season. And again, they're, they're just going to be in that same gauntlet. And so I think they'll probably end up 
right around 50, maybe just barely above like 51, 52. I, I agree with everything you said there. I also went with the under and the only things I'll add are, I also don't know how invested they're going to be in the regular season, even if they are at full mm-hmm. strength. This seems like a team that isn't going to give a crap about what their playoff seed is necessarily. Like maybe they want top four, but finishing first or second doesn't seem like it'll be as important to them. The other thing mm-hmm. that really got me, they have to have one of the toughest opening schedules in the NBA. And so I've seen November 13th floating around as a return date for Paul George. That's 10 games into the season. So he'd be returning against Houston, which that's not at Houston, by the way, which is why I'm not even sure. Uh, I, I would almost expect, wouldn't you want to start him, have his season at home? Uh, yeah. Bring him back on the two-game road trip. It would be a back-to-back Houston and, and New Orleans. That probably won't happen. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe it's they bring him back to 16th versus Atlanta. And so I just mentioned those two games uh, on the 13th and the 14th. But before that, their first 10 games, they play the Jazz twice. They're at home versus the Lakers. They travel to play the Warriors. They travel to play the Suns. They host the Hornets. Uh, I already mentioned the Jazz. They they split that. They have to play. They play the Spurs um, at Staples Center. They play the Bucks at Staples Center. They play the Blazers and Raptors at Staples Center as well. That is not an easy opening schedule. Charlotte is the only gimme game on that that Ross uh, on that slate. You could say it's Phoenix, but if you don't have Paul George, I don't know that you could go that far. And then there's the Kawhi Leonard bugaboo. He said he plans to not be rested as much this year. I would still be shocked if he plays in 72 games. I would set, yeah. I would set the over-under of games for him at 71, and I might even take the under there. And that's not a knock against this team. They're a veteran team. Might they even just – are they going to load manage Patrick Beverly just because he's on the older side? Ditto with uh, Lou Williams, although they might not have to since he probably won't be carrying as, as heavy a workload as he was last year. So – uh, the under this isn't a confident bet but the but the under does feel right for them what um what would patrick beverly do if he was asked to be load managed yeah that's true too that seems that's not <laughs> seems like one of those guys that. that might just refuse that <laughs> yeah he'd demand a trade oh you don't want me to play <laughs> trade me. all right that brings us to the lakers and this one is uh, at least for me it was really really difficult they're at 49 and a half at this recording, Anthony Davis has yet to have the MRI on the wrist uh, injury that he suffered during a preseason game. Unless that wrist uh, that that MRI comes back and reveals that he's going to be out for months, I went with the over here. Uh, it's it just it's weird to me because I'm normally I thought with LeBron moving teams so often in the Eastern Conference, it had kind of taught me to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to projecting these new superstar pairings but LeBron and Anthony Davis just seem like such a natural fit um and the Lakers they they have an easier schedule to start the season than than the Clippers did conversely that's going to help them and there's something that's just genuinely terrifying to me about LeBron James coming off his first extended offseason since 2005 wherein it coincided with people also just passing the best player torch to Giannis Antetokounmpo and there have been seasons going into it where people haven't ranked him as the best player um, for the year, but it was always just this tacit recognition, uh, maybe an overt recognition that he was still the best player in the game, that if we were talking about playoffs that you wanted him. And so I almost feel like that's going to factor in and that maybe he has, I know he's secure in just where he stands in general, 
uh, in the pantheon of all-time greats, but maybe this is the first real chip he's had to have on his shoulder uh, since before he won a title in Cleveland. And I think you could even argue that maybe that chip wasn't as big because he, he went home to Cleveland, so that in itself was a huge win for the Cavaliers then. I like this roster a lot better than I did last year as well. If you're going to tell me that uh, Rajon Rondo is going to average 20, 25 minutes a game, then yeah, we could we could rethink my pick. But for, for now, I'm going with the over. So for every reason that you just named, um, this is a real scary pick for me, but I went with the under. Um, I, I think Davis and LeBron are going to be fantastic together. I think Danny Green was an excellent pickup. Um, I'm higher on Contavious Caldwell Pope than a lot of the media seems to be. Um, I, I, I think there's some lineups here that are very, very intriguing. However, um, this injury to Anthony Davis, we, we, again, we don't know the severity of it yet, but it underscores a major problem for this team. And that's if they lose either of Davis or LeBron and LeBron had his first extended stretch with an injury last season too. Um, then things get very, very dicey for this team. <laughs> because if if it's suddenly LeBron and the rest of this supporting cast or Anthony Davis and the rest of this supporting cast without that clear number two, it's it's just a lot harder for me to see them getting to 50 wins. And, it, and it's, you know, maybe stupid to base a um, over-under prediction on the possibility of an injury, but... There's there's been a lot of nagging injuries in Anthony Davis's careers a career I know he's been relatively healthy over the last few years um, and, and LeBron's been basically a robot for most of his career but he's now getting into uh, a portion of his career where we have to think about whether or not he's going to continue to be a robot um, you know he's he's looked I'm, I'm mixing metaphors here but he's looked immortal for so long and, and eventually that's gotta stop I'm not saying it does stop this season. Um, but just that nagging suspicion that maybe one or or both of them go down for a little stretch this season makes it a little bit more difficult for me to see them get into 50. That's all valid as well. What would be so what would be the, the number for you for them for, for wins? 48? That's the, I was gonna say that's the thing about this over under for the West this season is pretty much all of these over unders, my prediction would, would be within like a win or two of where they're at. Um so, I, yeah, I would probably say like 47, 48 for them. How long, how many games would Anthony Davis have to miss for, for you to feel uncomfortable about them winning even 47 or 48? If he has an injury that keeps him out for like, I don't know, six weeks, six to eight weeks, something like that, that I think that could be difficult to recover from. And that doesn't sound like a lot in isolation. Um, but, you know, that's that's 12 or 13 games. And that's uh, they're that, already that, missing Kuzma, too. So if he misses extended time, that's definitely a problem. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of it myself. I dislocated my shoulder just a few months ago. After it popped back in, rather than seeking immediate medical attention, I just wanted to continue about my daily life, deal with the pain, and hope that it would eventually get better without really doing anything to rest it or make sure that it gave me proper range of motion. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, 
you get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to get connected to a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. The Memphis Grizzlies, 26.5. What did you put? <laughs> I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to say this every time, but this one was hard. For me too. Um, I just mentioned that they're probably the only thing that that I think we could say is maybe a walkover in the Western Conference. But I actually think they're going to be fairly competitive um, on a night to night basis. They have a bunch of good young players, and I think what I'm doing here is just sort of shrinking the gap between the 15th place team and the first place team in the West. Um, it might be interesting to go back and see which seasons that gap was the smallest. I, I just think that's probably at least a little bit of an indicator about how good the West is. I do think Memphis probably finishes last in the conference, but I I do think they can get to high twenties and wins. This is another one that I'm not real comfortable on though. I mean, um, you know, they're, they're putting a lot of trust in a rookie point guard, which equals a lot of losses. Um, Right now they have Brandon Clark and Jaron Grant or Jaron Jackson starting together. Uh, that's probably going to change when Jonas Valanciunas becomes healthy. So you get a little bit more experience there. I think Valanciunas is is a guy that's you know he's not a great defender, but he'll he'll make life difficult for opposing big men. Um, they they just have a lot of guys that I think are competitive, um, aren't going to want to lay down night after night after night. So I I do think they probably sneak past that number, but th- this is a real tough call. <laughs> Yeah, I I was actually a little bit surprised you went with the over and I went with the under. There are just a couple of assumptions I'm making. I don't think Jay Crowder is going to finish the season in Memphis. I know you obviously weren't expecting Andre Godala to play for mm-hmm. the Grizzlies either. Uh, how healthy is Kyle Anderson going to be this year? That's something else. Their, their wing rotation beyond Crowder is just wildly unproven. You have Bruno Cavaclo. Uh, Grayson Allen, Dylan Brooks, if you want to call him a wing, he's more like just a guard. And and they're they're kind of small, I guess, for the two, three spots, uh, or at least at the two spot even, it feels like, uh, when you don't have Iguodala there looking at Brooks. And uh, I'm looking at their roster, I'm actually going to take that back. But I'm just not crazy about their two, three options. And then you're, you're also entrusting, I'm assuming, a lion's share of the offense to a rookie point guard in John Morant. So unless he has kind of a, a Trey Young like arc. I'm not saying their games are similar. Uh or, you know, a, a Doncic type rookie season where he's just so good out the gate, it doesn't matter. I, I think there's going to just be a huge learning curve for this team. What did make me feel really not confident about this pick though is what they can do at those four or five spots. When you look at maybe mm-hmm. a front court of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark or even Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kyle Anderson. You mentioned uh Jonas Valanciunas is underrated. I'm totally with you. He was absolutely absurd when he went to Memphis last year and was just mm. basically ridiculous in the post all season. 
he averaged 1.12 points per possession on post-ups in Memphis. Uh, Nay counted for over 29% of his offensive possessions. That was almost identical to his number, by the way, um, in Toronto, 1.11 points per possession. It just accounted for fewer of his offensive opportunities, 16.7%. Just for context, Brooke Lopez averaged 1.11 points per spot-up possession last year. And so Jonas Valanciunas averaged that on post-ups, which is infinitely more difficult. And so they could be a team that's maybe just tougher to play on nights than others are expecting. And if they're going to get a lot of those load managed games, maybe from the contenders, maybe that's how they in inflate their win total. I just, I almost have to pick a doormat in the West. Yeah. They're it for me this season. I think that's fair. Um, Minnesota Timberwolves, 35 and a half. Broken record They won 36 style. games last year, by the way. I haven't been doing that online. The broken record style. This one was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pick the over because I think Carl Anthony Towns is a top 10 player in the league. At the same time, I just don't. What, what else are you excited about with this roster? I'm stoked if Robert Covington can stay healthy. I want to see all the minutes of Towns and Covington uh, at the at the five and four, respectively. But if you're going to give heavy minutes to Andrew Wiggins, that's going to be hurting yourself unless he has a career turnaround. Uh, you're, you're still kind of developing these young wings. And, and I, I don't mean like kind of, you are. And Josh Okogie, Jared Culver, what are you going to get out of Jake Lehman? Uh, can you count on Jordan Bell as a backup big? What about Noah Vonley? Uh, Kata Bates-Jop has to kind of factor in there, I would think, as well. This team is just around towns. There are bright spots, but they're also sort of blah. And when you're going to be in the Western Conference, I would probably put, I would expect them to almost get like 37, maybe 38 wins. But I'm just kind of caking in some difficulty here and thinking maybe someone misses some games or they're just a little worse than we expected uh, on, on one side of the ball. I think they're going to be great on offense. Their defense is still going to be a bit of a question mark, even if Covington's healthy wire to wire. So I, I picked under, I don't, I don't feel too good about it though. I picked over and I also don't feel too good about it. Um, but this is, this is mostly a nod to Carl Anthony Towns, who you just um, spent plenty of time talking about. So I don't need to add a ton to that, but I, like you, I love the combination of him and Robert Covington. It was very, very good last season. Um, they, it's it's not a real inspiring roster <laughs> after those top two guys. I know I've been, uh, I think, a little bit higher on Andrew Wiggins' um, career not being over um, than some other people, but even I am am worried about that. Uh, but this is this is mostly just a nod to Carl Anthony Towns, how good he is. Uh, really, one of the most statistically unique and productive big men in the history of the game. Um, the start to his career is is borderline unprecedented, what he's done with the addition of a three-point shot to all the big men skills that he has. Just a ridiculous <laughs> all-around player. So that, that to me, is the biggest reason they're going to get over 35.5, at least in my mind. Um, Covington is a, is a good compliment to him too and i'm glad you brought that up because i think i think just that front court alone is a is a really really good front court so that's basically why i'm going over because there's like you said there's a bunch of issues after that 
I, I wouldn't disagree with you there, and I would definitely be more I'm, – I'm more likely to agree with you on what you said on the Timberwolves than what you're about to say on the Pelicans. <laughs> Their over-under is 39.5. They won 33 games last year. I think I hinted at it, but what did you give them? I'm going over on the Pelicans, and I, I might feel more confident on this one than I do on the Timberwolves, despite the over-under being <laughs> four wins higher. I think they're going to be um, – just good. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure they're going to make the playoffs or anything like that, but I think they're going to be a good basketball team. Um, Drew holiday is now, I think he's the new like perennial perennially underrated guy uh, in the NBA. And now they added another one in, in Derek favors. Um, JJ Redick has been a real solid veteran for years. He just averaged 18 points a game last season. They've got a bunch of good, uh, just sort of sturdy veteran players who know what they're doing and they're getting they're getting Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram right around the time that they should or theoretically make a leap. Um, you know, I've been lower on Ingram than a lot of people, but I think he's looked better than I expected in the preseason. And and you know how I feel about Lonzo Ball. I mean, the shot notwithstanding, he can do just about everything else on a basketball court. And then obviously the big big na- excuse me the big big name here is uh, Zion Williamson, who I was you know. I felt like I was about as high as everyone is on him and his potential coming into the league. And he looks even better than I could have imagined. I mean, <laughs> a lot of the same stuff that I was amazed by with him in college is still happening against NBA athletes. He takes off from like halfway through the paint, hangs in the air longer than any defender, takes a couple bumps, hits that finger roll. Um, his body control and his touch around the rim is just unbelievable. And I know there's a big question mark with his shot, and and maybe that never comes all the way around, but at least he's willing to take him. He's hit a couple threes here in the preseason. And I think if you have a guy who is as uh, much an anomaly physically as he is and can get to the rim as easily as he can, um, I think he'll be fine as as he figures out how to shoot. Um, the other thing about him that uh, before I let you go is his off-ball um, – basketball IQ is is just off the charts to me it it usually takes NBA players a couple years to figure out um you know where do I need to be when player x dribbles this way uh where do I you know where do I go to chase this offensive rebound um which part of the court should I sneak into when the defense goes here all all this kind of stuff he he has instincts off the ball that are just incredible to me he finds the open spot um seemingly on every possession and he's got players who will find him the ball when he gets there. Like, you know, Lonzo ball has great vision. Drew holiday has good vision. Um, I I think he's going to be even better than I thought he would be, which is pretty wild because I thought he was going to be fantastic in year one. So I think that, I think the Pelicans are going to be just a good solid team this year. I have no rationale to go the under other than I really am trying to stop myself from buying too much into the preseason. Zion Williamson has looked absolutely dominant. I I really want to pick the over. That was my gut instinct when I saw that. But I'm assuming that they are going to cater to development a little bit or maybe a a ton. And so I'm assuming that Zion Williamson, even if he starts absurdly like he has in the preseason, will there be some sort of a rookie wall there like we, we saw with Doncic last year? Um, are they going to invest time in seeing what they have in 
a Jackson Hayes instead of going with some maybe more proven or effective front court combinations. Uh, what is are, how much are they going to invest in, in Brandon Ingram because he's going to be a restricted free agent this year? That that seems like a guy that they're going to need to give minutes to. And so you look at this roster, it's so deep that it almost undermines picking the over to me because I feel like they they have to wear a lot of different hats then. And for them to hit the over, I feel like they need to lean more toward the veterans. And maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, that's what I would think. And Perhaps J.J. Reddick's playing time gets impacted, um, especially because of how well Nikhil Alexander-Walker has played. You know that is my large adult son. So yeah. there's that. And then I'm, I'm also just trying to account for, hey, it's preseason, and maybe we're boarding the hype train too soon. But look, I tell you, between what Lonzo, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Zion Williamson have done in the preseason, it's been awfully difficult to not be incredibly high on the Pelicans. I, I'm insanely high on their future. I just think this season, I, I feel like there's this consensus rush to coronate these younger teams, and this squad might just need a little bit more time. I fully recognize, though, that it, all, it also seems like their ceiling might be mid-40s or higher right now. Listen to these numbers real quick before we move on. <laughs> Again, preseason caveat. He's played four games. Zion Williamson, 27.2 minutes, 23.3 points on 12.3 field goal attempts per game. <laughs> I mean, that that is just ludicrous. Um, taking that many shots, 12, which isn't a lot, but but nearly doubling your field goal attempts with points at over at a double digit shot attempt is is just wild. And and one of the reasons I'm not quite as worried about the preseason caveat with him um, as I might be with other players is one of the most impressive displays that he put on. He was guarded by Rudy Gobert for a lot of it. And I think most of the listeners probably know how I feel about Rudy Gobert. I've, I've considered him to be the most impactful defender in the NBA for uh, four seasons now. No, um, you. <laughs> so, so for Zion to really just take it at him with, fearlessness the way that he did in that preseason game was eye-opening to me um I've got his shot chart pulled up and then you know that's obviously not great media for a podcast but um there's just a big (laughs) (laughs) there's a big green blob I mean it's supposed to be individual green circles for every make but there's just a big green mess around the rim for him and I, I just I think he's already one of the best finishers in the NBA um so uh, the, he's <laughs> he is going to be a league pass appointment viewing uh, all season long, and again, I think I think the Pelicans are just going to be solid. I might just tag this podcast as the Pelicans Outlook podcast at this point. <laughs> uh, look, you said it to people; they were uh, some of them were joked with. There were people who were saying like, "Let's see Zion do it outside of three feet, basically," and then he hit a three in that game, which was which was funny. But even if he Look, if that's going to be the green blob in front of the basket, you said it. Yeah. He's so good at moving off the ball. Cares. Yep. Um, I, am- I have the same. I mean, I think it's a little bit worse um, with Ben Simmons just because he hasn't been willing to take them. But I've had the same general point. Like, if you can get to the rim and shoot within three feet, that's probably what you want to do. So I, I, I have no problem with him taking some time figuring out his shot. The Also, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, though. Preseason caveat. Look, I can do this too. 29, <laughs> 29.3 points, 9.3 assists, 5.4 boards, 2 steals, 
per 36 minutes Whoa. on a 43.5, 42.3, 81.8 shooting slash. He has been They're going to be good, man. But that's my my whole thing is that I'm I'm trying to say there has to be some drop off here in the regular season. If not right away, at least as it lengthens or at least because you think that the Pelicans are going to invest more time in in developing others. I it feels counterintuitive. I want to pick the over so much. It just I don't want to rush the coronation of this team. I'm actually trying to do them a favor. So it was What do you think? Go ahead. This this is my my favorite like sub topic uh for the season that's probably wild like really, really unlikely. Um what what would you put the chances of the Pelicans finishing above the Lakers at? What do you mean in wins? Like, do you think they could have more wins than the Lakers? Yeah. I would give it a 33% chance. Just oh, because, I like that. Just because it's like the injury history of Anthony Davis. I know it's been overblown because there are a lot of seasons where they just shut him down because they were done trying to win. But it, it seems like he gets hurt every single game, whether it's serious or not. Which mm-hmm. And there are all these different injuries. And I would think that sort of increases the likelihood that he misses significant time. And then if he misses significant time that forces LeBron to ferry a much heavier burden. And in his age 35 season, I don't know how much of a great model that is. And so, you know, also even maybe the Lakers are worse than we expect just because it shouldn't take them long to figure this out, but maybe you shouldn't be playing Anthony Davis with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm amazed that, I mean, it just blows my mind that that's even like, they won't close that's how they're going like to start that. the season. But I'm just saying maybe that's something that factors in. Yeah. Oh, another note. It was really, I've, I'm rich to see Lakers fans get mad at uh, a lot of people were like posting Lonzo step back and saying, "Look at his new jump shot." And they were like, "We've been telling you this for years <laughs> and and things like that." Uh, I was, I I know the step back has been a part of his game. I I didn't watch him in high school, but it's it's definitely been a part of his game since UCLA. Um, and so I guess the people who were tweeting that it was new, but like we can't pretend that, uh. Lonzo Ball has been like this great shooter. He shot thirty under thirty one percent on step backs last year, and so if he's going to make them at a much higher well, level, even even this preseason, he's at like thirty two percent from the field and thirty percent from three. So we probably need to pump the brakes yet again on yeah, him. So he did shoot well on step backs during his rookie season. I just thought I think it's endearing that Lakers fans are still loyal to to Lonzo Ball, even though he's no longer a, yeah a member. Of it's the like Lakers. how they still claim Isaac Bonga, as we learned recently. That was. It's really funny because the Lakers are responsible for finding him, but they also gave him away for nothing. Yeah. So it's just it, it, that was just mind blowing. But there's your yeah. Isaac Bonga tangent for the the win totals <laughs> podcast. Isaac Bonga, future All Star, according to Five Thirty Eight's new projection system. Good for the Wizards, Manning. Congratulations to the Lakers scouting department. Yeah. Um, well done, all around. We. Uh, uh, oh, we're on to you. Sorry. I was going to say, I think it's back to me. Um, OKC won 49 games last year. The OKC Thunder, their uh, over-under is down at 31.5, which is actually, um, that's even lower than I would have expected. But what do you got them at? So I just changed this in real time. They were one of my tougher ones. I I picked the under originally. I'm assuming they're going to trade Danilo Gallinari. I don't know what's going to happen with Chris Paul. But if you think that Chris Paul is going to finish the season there, then you almost have to go over. And at this point, unless Miami's terrible, I don't know I don't know where else he would go. And and so if he's going to finish the season, I, I kind of feel like he will finish this year 
in Oklahoma City. Maybe he doesn't, and that's going to derail their win total. But they have an awfully lot of an awful lot of talent at the top if he does stay there. You know, never mind Daniel Gallinari, and I know shooting will be a problem. But if uh, it, I don't know what's going on with Andre Robertson, he's yet to play in public, and so I guess I shouldn't name him. But Shea Gilgis Alexander's looked like a monster during the preseason. He looked like a monster mm-hmm. in the playoffs as well. Uh, Steven Adams is still really, really good. Borderline top 50 player in the NBA. So if you do have Gallinari for even half the season, then uh, this does feel like a team that should get at least like 33, 34. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, you know, obviously, things change drastically for this team if they trade Gallinari, Paul, or both, which is probably why the over-under is where it is. Um but let's assume this, the team generally stays together for the whole season. I wouldn't be surprised to see that bunch push towards 40 uh, wins. That starting five alone is you know, potentially very, very good, or at least the four guys that we're sure are going to be in there with Chris Paul, Shea, Gil- Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Daniel Gallinari, and Steven Adams. Um, that That's the potential of a really, really tough lineup. And like you said, if they have Chris Paul all season, you almost have to pick the over. Um, so maybe this is a, a bet by me that they don't make those moves until around the trade deadline. And maybe they've won enough games by then that, that they sneak past 31 and a half anyway. Um, but if they, if they keep these guys all season, which I think is probably less likely, um, then I think they'll, they'll clear this with ease. I don't even think you need to go that far. If they keep Danilo Gallinari until the trade deadline, the, uh, this, the over to me ends up being a good pick. Yeah. I mean, so, that's about 50 games into the season. So they're, even if they're like slightly worse than I expect with that roster, then they're, you know, still low twenties, I think in wins. And we don't look, does, even if they trade Paul, just so let's say it's closer to the trade deadline that they do it or December once free agents are available, the sheer amount of salary that's going to be coming in, it's probably going to, they're going to get at least one veterans. player back. Yeah, And so if not two, and so then if you've kept him for 30, 40, 50% of the season, there's still a chance that you hit the, the over, unless you steer into a tank, which I guess is fully possible. I wouldn't want to have to ask Steven Adams not to play basketball either. That's another guy yeah. that I wouldn't want to yeah. have to. Who's our all, I will never tank team. That's, that, that's a thought for another podcast. Yeah. That's a good podcast idea. <laughs> So we're, bo- we're both at the over there. That's a risky one, though. I fully admit that's a risky one. The Phoenix Suns, they're over under a set at 29.5. They won 19 games last season. What do you have for them? Um, <laughs> yet again, a, a difficult decision for me. I went with the under, but I think this is another team that's going to be scrappy this season. I, I don't think there's a lot of doormat uh, games on the schedule this season if you're in the Western Conference. and. I, you know, Rubio with a ball dominant two in Utah, that there were clear issues with that. Um, the fact that when Donovan Mitchell had the ball, that defenses really didn't have to pay attention to Rubio at all, that, that really hurt the offense. And I think that probably carries over to Phoenix with Devin Booker. Um, but they've got some interesting pieces, I think, to mitigate that to some extent. I think Cameron Johnson is going to be a really good shooter. He's been starting alongside those guys in the preseason. Um, so he spaces the floor. I think Dario Saric still has a lot of potential as a playmaking four. I think we've kind of forgotten how good he was for a couple seasons uh, in, in Philadelphia. So I think he's going to have a bounce back year. And I think DeAndre Ayton is better 
than people realize. Plus, they've got some interesting bench guys like Michael Bridges. I probably would start him over Cameron Johnson, but if he's coming off the bench, that's a that's a solid bench player for Phoenix. Um, they, they they've got a lot of interesting players, and I think mostly that that starting five is is very intriguing to me. Not intriguing enough to uh, take the over, and it's kind of funny that I'm just. It, <laughs> building them up this entire time and I'm going to take the under. Um, but they're they're intriguing. They're going to be tough. This is basically just a long-winded explanation of why it's a difficult choice for me. At the, at the same time, I do think those issues with Rubio are going to rear their head. Um, after Bridges and Ubre. maybe there are some question marks on the bench. Um, so I, I still think they're probably a year or two away, but they're finally starting to, to field something that could be at least competitive. For sure. It's the thing with Rubio too, though, is that the, his shortcomings for the Jazz are going to be more detrimental than they will be to the Suns, just because Phoenix has not had competent point guard play, uh, unless you count Devin Booker last season, in what feels like forever. And so he's mm-hmm. just by virtue of his defense, but also just the way he looks up the floor in transition. I feel like it's going to get guys to kind of run and get into the offense quicker. Uh, Devin Booker finally getting some help should be a bigger development to me. I know I was, I showed you something I was writing about. He has never had more than 43.7% uh, of his made buckets, like been assisted on uh, yeah. over the past three seasons. And so that's like to, to have him maybe get some more off ball opportunities this year uh, after he ranked third in contested shot attempts per game last season, which trailed only Donovan Mitchell and James Harden. That seems like it's going to help. I, I, but more than a 10 win jump, I do think this team is going to be a far more interesting watch. A, a 10 or 11, 12 win jump just seems a little steep. I was more tempted than I thought I would be to go with the Suns over, though. Reflexively, I think you're just supposed to go Suns under, which I did. Uh, this one I actually don't feel too great about. I almost wanted to flip flop the Thunder and the Suns, pick the under for OKC and, and the over. For Phoenix, but let's see what they look like defensively in the aggregate. I know you could definitely build some interesting lineups with Mikael Bridges and uh, Ricky Rubio with Aaron Baines that adds some defensive toughness, but that's not their roster isn't just flush with these talented stoppers. And so it still could be a little bit difficult to, to build those effective lineups. And look, they're still, they're young. Aiton is good, but is he going to make a defensive leap this year? Uh, Cameron Johnson's a good shooter. He's also a rookie. Uh, Mikael yeah. Bridges, great defender. You're still waiting to see, can he do a little bit more off the dribble? Is he going to hit his three more consistently? Sarge didn't shoot too well last year. There's just a, a lot of a lot of questions still about this team. And I would probably say a 10-win jump might be exactly where they end at, like 29 wins exactly. And so mm-hmm. pushing it into 30 was just a little too difficult for me. Understandable. Uh, back to me, Portland yeah. Trailblazers, 53 wins last season. They're at 46 and a half. Uh, where do you got them? Neither of us have learned because we both picked the other. <laughs> this is look, the Blazers are entering Spurs territory of you just need to trust them to hit the over, it feels like. That being said, they haven't looked great in the preseason. Going from Yusuf Nurkic to Hassan Whiteside is a is just a big drop off to me because Nurkic can do so many more things. He can move a lot better when he's healthy on the defensive end. He's a much better playmaker, short roller on the offensive end. I was reading an anecdote uh, about the Blazers in one of their preseason games that Lillard went to throw a pass to Hassan Whiteside out of the pick and roll like it was a pick and pop, but obviously Hassan Whiteside is not yeah. picking is not he's not picking and popping 
So th- <laughs> there might this might be some chemistry issues. They'll probably get it right at some point in the regular season. We've talked about their their wing rotation though, their backup point guard rotation. It's just it's very confusing. There's talent, but who on this team can you trust to guard bigger wings? And then mm-hmm. what what does your backup point guard situation look like? I, we're, I'm assuming they'll stagger McCollum and Lillard a lot more than they did last year, but there's still going to be gaps to fill. So you need a lot from Baysmore or Anthony Simons as a as a playmaker, maybe even Rodney Hood. And then just overall, it feels like they were an average team defensively last year, and I feel like they might be fixing for uh, a potential drop-off. I know you have Zach Collins and Hassan Whiteside. That might be an effective front court, but you know now let's move to your backup bigs. Anthony Tolliver, Scalabca, Pau Gasol, Mario Hazonia mm-hmm. at the four. It, it just, I, I don't know. Uh, banking on them to get to 47-48 in this West, I, I think they'll, they'll still be at least in the mid-40s, but th- this one felt a little high for me. Yeah, I went the under as well, and I I believe I may have predicted that they missed the playoffs in the Northwest Division preview. I'm not, I, I'm not Ooh, certain when about we that. We fill out our seeds after the next over under podcast. You're gonna, so, gonna yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to commit um, to some of these predictions that I've made, or maybe uh, yeah, you've named like, like 20 players as top 10 players. So <laughs> I was actually thinking the other day, do can you name more than? Uh, 10 top 10 players i think there's there's a philosophical answer there um please let's not go down that rabbit hole (laughs) but yeah that's that's a topic for another day um all the concerns you mentioned i'm i'm on board with uh the biggest one for me is the difference between yusuf nurkic and hassan whiteside and i know it's it's maybe um Ridiculous to doubt Damian Lillard. He's he's been phenomenal over the last few years, really for for his entire career. Um, but I think this is the season it finally catches up to them. So I I went the under, and I think the biggest thing is I just there there's a drastic difference between Nurkic and Whiteside for me. My heart is warming at what you have for the Kings right now. They won 39 games last year. Their over under is set right there again, 38.5. What did you give them? I went with the over. Um, I know a lot of the statistical models are down on the Kings. Like if if you go to 538, they're projected for 34 wins. Um, the only Western Conference team below them is the Grizzlies at 33. So <laughs> despite their feel-good season last year where there was even a, a, a little stretch where it looked like they might make the playoffs, there's a lot of people who think they're going to take a step back. I'm, I think they're going to be about as good as they were last year. So I think they get to right around 39, 40 wins. Um, maybe Deer and Fox is a little bit better. I think Heald has probably hit his ceiling, but I think Marvin Bagley will be better. Um, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich is solid. I think Dwayne Dedman was a nice addition. They, they added not just him. They added a few decent vets. Uh, you can say what you want about the price points on some of them, but Corey Joseph should help. Trevor Ariza should help. Um, I think this is a team that's going to be competitive. They're going to be fast-paced, fun. People will be more ready for the fast-paced attack that they have uh, this season. But I think they're going to be solid. I, I just don't see the step back. With a team that's this young and with enough developing guys, I just don't see that big of a step back for them. I'm with you, and yet I still picked the over, uh, the under. And I don't think they're going to take a step back. Uh, their their half-quarter offense needs work because, like you said, defenses are going to be more ready for their speed. I think De'Aaron Fox has this 
type of game where it's both the calm and the storm. We just haven't yeah. really seen it yet, and so that they'll be fine. And I'm you you know I'm high on De'Aaron Fox. I I like mo- the moves functionally they made over the off season. Those contracts with the non guarantees and in, in the final years make them look a, a lot better than I think other people might say. I'm, you could nitpick and say what's going on with their backup point guard position, but I'm fine with Bogdan Bogdanovich being the, the the secondary playmaker behind De- De'Aaron Fox and having Joseph, you know, kind of play off the ball more. Hopefully, he'll hit more of his threes than he did in Indiana last year. We're both. I like Bagley too, and if he shoots the ball the way that he did um, toward the end of last season, while Deadman shoots like he did in Atlanta, they're going to have clear paths to five out lineups, which just makes De'Aaron Fox that much more dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think this team is going to improve without increasing this win, its win total because the West is such a blood. Shout battle. out to the West. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's one of those situations where I don't know if this makes sense, but so they had a negative 0.8 uh, net rating last year outside of garbage time for cleaning the glass. I think their point differential is going to be better, maybe even noticeably better, but that they're going to end up winning fewer games because of how brutal the Western conference is. Yeah, I can see that. Um, that's that's our I think appropriate caveat with a lot of these picks. Um, the next one we have is the San Antonio Spurs, who won 48 games last season. They are set at 45 and a half uh, for this season. Where do you have them? I have the over. Why would you Why would you not pick the over in this scenario? You're getting Dejounte Murray back, who was an All NBA defender. Maybe he won't be at that level this year, but defense was the Spurs' biggest qualm. Uh, biggest biggest issue last year and so now you're getting him back you have Derek White for a full season of being Derek White you added Damari Carroll would have been nice if they had Marcus Morris too I guess so but you're a little bit more versatile defensively I don't like the idea of them starting Jakob Pertl and LaMarcus Aldridge together particularly when you look at how thin they are on shooters on the wings but they just have an easier path to being a good defensive team this year and so I, I i'm just trying to feel the argument of what would be why would they hit the under it feels like their offense will be okay because I, everyone's waiting for lamarcus aldridge to drop off and stop hitting those contested looks i'm sort of done waiting for that it just seems like he's gonna hit those forever uh their bench is hurt by the absence of, of davis Bertans, uh and their bench killed people last year it basically made their seasons yeah so perhaps that's an issue but the spurs have exceeded expectations like every year for the past 15 years. I'm just, I'm not going to be one of those people that, that jumps off the ship until it's already mostly underwater. I will be one of those people. Um, (laughs) I took the under for this team. Um, I'm trying to stall so I can look up a couple numbers, but it may not happen. I was going to find his cleaning the glass net rating swing, but his, his basketball reference net rating swing, Davis Bertans, 11.1 points. So they were eight plus 8.6 when he was on the floor. And, and obviously it, what's that? How many minutes did he play? Uh, 1600. Oh, uh, that was higher than I thought last year. That's, That's a decent right. amount. Yeah. Um, he, I, to me, he was sort of a linchpin for that bench that, like you said, was basically their saving grace last season. I'm pretty sure the, um, Pretty sure the Aldridge DeRozan combo was negative last season. Um, that's why cleaning the glass isn't working. It's set on 2019-20. Um, so give me one second. I I just think, and I know their offense was good 
last season, but I think when you're based on two guys who are, um, you know, live so much in the mid range, and I was wrong, by the way, they're cleaning the glass net rating with those two on the floor was plus 1.1, which was in the 62nd percentile. Um, they, they just have, I'm rambling at this point, but there's just not enough shooting for me to feel comfortable about this team right now. Um, your two main scorers are just going to live in the mid range. Now you add DeJounte Murray to the mix. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously not a great shooter. Puddle's not going to do anything as a shooter. I think Damari Carroll is, is well past his prime. Um, there's just question marks all up and down this roster to me. And I know, this is not like dispositive of the issue at all, but that 538 projection model has the Spurs at 39 wins. Um, it's, and for a guy who loves <laughs> rosters that are built out on, you know, analytics and, and finding the right kind of shots, uh, I'm worried about the Spurs. And I think that's maybe silly because they had a lot of these same issues last season and they still had a good offense. Um, but I think a lot of that was, that that offensive ability of those bench units and and you know it's not completely based on Davis Bertans but I think that is a big loss um and I think <laughs> I know you, you're right they have outperformed expectations for well over a decade now so maybe I'm I'm premature in predicting their demise but I do think they're probably under this season I'm just gonna say picking the under for both the Blazers and the Spurs is terrible karma <laughs> I'm tempting fate for sure yeah the final team <laughs> In the Western Conference, I don't know if you've heard of them, the Utah Jazz. They won 50 games last year. They have a win total over under 53.5 this year. What would you give them? I went under. I think that's just a little bit too high. Again, I think all the really good teams are going to be pretty close in win totals uh, this year. And I think it's it's going to be incredibly difficult to predict a number one seed because I think there are five or six teams that you can make a good argument for. And I think they're all going to end up in the low 50s. And so I think Utah's probably around 51, 52 wins. Um, I think it'll take a little bit of time for them to get back up to speed defensively. Uh, they've they've had some moments in the preseason where they, they look like they could just be scored on at will. Um, I think they'll figure it out eventually. I think they'll be probably a top 10 or borderline top 10 defense still. Uh, it's interesting to talk about the Jazz in this way because for the longest time it was flipped. It was can can they get to you know average or close to top ten offensively, and I think that's there for them. I I think they're going to be really really good offensively. So um, they're kind of the inverse of what they've been in years past, and so I think that I think slight defensive struggles for a little bit are are going to keep them in the low fifties as opposed to the mid to to high fifties. You know me, I'm higher on the Jazz's regular season than I am their, their yeah. season chances at the moment. And so maybe maybe that should be flip flopped. But I gave them I gave them the over. This just feels like we've been waiting for two seasons for them two seasons for them to just kinda inch into mid fifties win territory. After getting Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovich, this just feels like the year it's it's going to happen. Donovan Mitchell in year three, Rudy Gobert, fringe top ten player in the NBA, definitely a top fifteen player in the NBA at this point. I'm not as worried about their regular season defense again. I, I think they'll figure it out. All the questions you bring up, though, is is what concerns me about the postseason. They're still so very deep, and I know mm-hmm. that there's there's an there's a layer of uh, inexperience to their bench. If if you're going to rely on Emmanuel Mudiay, who I guess you can't say inexperience with him, he just hasn't been good. But Dante Exum as well. I, I get it, but they, they also just seem so 
so much more fit to play different styles this year where if they really wanted to, mm-hmm. you can go Jeff Green at the five as well. I, I'm high on their regular season chances. It does seem overall in this exercise that you were a little bit higher on the teams that aren't projected to make the playoffs, and it was vice versa for me. So that'll be an interesting trend to monitor in the regular season. For sure. Um, and if you want to hit us up and, and talk to us about any of these picks on on Twitter or monitor those things with us over the course of the season, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. The podcast network is at Blue Wire Pods. Now that all those are out of the way, if you haven't already rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show, be sure and do that. Uh, And if you have, tell your friends and family to. And until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Benno Udry and Kyle Anderson who will soon be on a Buddy Cop shirt together. <laughs>